Well, friends, it's a privilege to be here today. It's so good to know why you were crying. I thought you were crying out of pain, not out of... I thought you were like, please stop preaching. I hate this. So uh, I've been praying about that every day since. That's beautiful. Um, I love being here at New Life Cool and Gutter. It's, it's such a privilege. We have three churches, part of our New Life family at the moment. We've got one in Brisbane. Uh, we were in preach this afternoon, one in Rabina and one here at Cool and Gutter. And what I love about what God is doing down here is every time I come to Cool, I meet new people. I'm like, I don't think we've met before. And then someone's like, yeah, I've been here six months. You're the new person here, mate. I'm like, this is good. I'm like an outcast in one of our own churches. No, but uh, it's fantastic to be with you today as we step into this next part of the series, uh, this next uh, week of the series of By Faith. I'm nervous every time I preach. So I wonder, would you join with me as we pray together? Gracious God. We come before you knowing that you want to meet with us more than we want to meet with you. As much as we plan to be here today, Father, I believe your spirit called us all here because you have a purpose, an agenda. You want to call us unto yourself. So God, what we need right now is not more of Michael. We need more of you, Lord Jesus. May your Holy Spirit be known. Holy Spirit, turn down the distractions of our hearts. Help us to just put out of mind our agenda for today and be here with you in this moment. We need you more than our very next breath. Less of me, more of you, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Friends, I want to start with a question today. In week two of the series, in week two of the series, we're going to be talking about the God of faith. But as we talk about the God of faith, here's my question. When was the last time you took a leap of faith? When was the last time you took a leap of faith? For a guy named Luke Akins, it was back in 2016 when Luke decided to jump on an airplane, fly to 25,000 feet, and at that moment, jump out of the airplane without a parachute. Now, you might be like, that's crazy. Were they going to pass him a parachute on the way down? No, indeed not, friends. For down here is the net that Luke was aiming to land on completely free-falling 25,000 feet. Now, if you were to tell me what kind of faith, how would you describe Luke Aiken's faith? What word would you use? Awesome. That was very confusing. That's the kind of faith that guy's got. Crazy faith? In the first service, Scott's like, strong faith. And I'm like, of course you would say that. I'm like, this guy's, this guy's an idiot. Like, you know, he's, he's jumping out of plane, 25,000 feet. He's got a death wish. We're probably saying it's foolhardy. This is not wise. And all those things would be understandable. Except the reason why Luke does it is because he knows something you don't know. You see, he has done 18,000 sky jumps over his life. 18,000. In fact, in preparation for this jump, he jumped 12 times, only releasing the parachute at the last possible moment, knowing he could aim and land on the net. So on the day, as a father of a four-year-old and married to a beautiful woman, when he jumped out of that plane and he landed in that net successfully, he didn't say, boy, that was a miracle. Oh, didn't know that was going to happen. There was going to be lasagna, but here I am, I'm alive. No, no, no. Some people are like, I was having lasagna for lunch. Well, now you have a great image. There's this sense, right? What happens? Where Luke was saying, no, this was calculated. I know something other people don't know. And in fact, when asked about it, he says, whenever people attempt to push the limits of what's considered humanly possible, they're invariably described as crazy. I'm here to show you that if we approach it the right way and we test it and we prove that it's good to go, we can do things that we don't think are possible. 
Why do I say this story, friends? Because I think jumping out of a 25,000 plane, 25,000 foot plane in the air, here's my thought. I actually think that sounds a lot like Christianity to the world. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but people think our belief in an unseen God is crazy. That we're just hoping, this is wishful thinking, that we're here today because we're like, man, I hope I got this right. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time on a Sunday. And if we don't have it right, then yes, you are. But friends, why are you here? Because you're crossing your fingers that God is real? No, in fact, I want to argue that most of you are here today, not because you're hoping that your, your wishful thinking comes to fruition, but because we know something. That our God that we serve has been tested. That he has been proven to be faithful. That he is good. Friends, I'm not up the front crossing my fingers that Jesus is real. I'm here today because of living proof that he is faithful and good. And maybe you're here today and you're wondering, yeah, but Michael, I don't have faith. I don't know if I have faith in this God. Friends, I've come to tell you today, all of us have faith. Every one of us. The word faith comes from the latter word fide. And a guy named John Lennox says that fide, he's an Oxford uh, mathematician professor, he says that fide actually means to rely or trust on something. Friends, we all rely and trust on something. Some of you are relying and trusting that uh, that lasagna at lunch is going to taste good. Good luck. Some of you are relying and trusting on a seat right now to hold you up. We all rely and trust on something with our life. The question is not if we have faith, it's in what do we have our faith. If you were to describe your faith to me, what would you say? How would you describe your faith? I have a blank faith. I have a crazy faith. I have a bold faith, a strong faith. I have a dead faith. Here at New Life, we've actually given a word to our faith. The word that we give to faith is adventurous. And our hope is that we would be a people not marked by apathetic faith, lazy faith, wishful faith. No, we want to be a people of adventurous faith. So what does that mean? Now, last week, and I preached this at Rabina last week, Scott would have touched on this. When we're talking about faith, we're going to a chapter in the Bible called Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer of Hebrews talks about faith by highlighting different biblical characters. And he talks about a man named Abraham. And Abraham, in this part of the scriptures, he says, by faith, you want to know what faith looked like? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. If I was to ask you, what does faith look like? By studying this passage, what does faith look like? How do you know Abraham had faith? Was it because he sat in church? Was it because he listened to Christian songs? Was it because he listened to a pastor with a well-manicured beard at New Life Coolangatta week in and week out? Who loves Scott's beard? Two people, Scott, man. <laughs> Shave the thing, buddy. All right? How do you know Abraham has faith? Not because of his church attendance, not because of what he says, but because of what he did. Because he what? He obeyed. Friends, here's the truth. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not belief. You might be here today saying, I believe in God. The book of James says this, so do demons. In fact, they probably believe in his power more than you do. And they shudder. But what is the difference between us and them is that we just don't believe, friends. We have faith. What is faith? Faith is active trust. See, if I was Luke Akins and I'm saying, hey, guys, I believe the net can catch me. If I jumped out of a plane, I reckon I could land on that net and I would be fine. In fact, I, I'm, I, I don't only believe it, I know it. You'd go, that's nice, buddy, but belief isn't enough. Prove it. How do we know Luke had faith in the net? He jumped from a plane. How do people know you have faith from God? Please do not go jump from planes. But there is a moment when our 
Belief must be led to action. That's what we've been studying in the book of Abraham. Last week, we began in, in the book of Abraham, the book of Genesis. The book of Abraham is not in the Bible. If you're new to faith or the Bible, don't go looking for it. You will not find it. That's a completely different religion, probably. The book of Genesis, chapter 12, we've been unpacking the story of, Gen- of, of Abraham. And, and Scott did it so beautifully last week as he talked about the beginning of Abraham's story. He's in a land called Ur. And, and God steps into his story, says, Come and follow me to a land you do not know. Leave everything you know and come follow me. And so Abraham, he, he leaves, he follows, and he obeys God. And he goes, and he doesn't know where he's going. He's just trusting the one with the promise. See, last week we learned that we are called to listen and obey to the call of God, trust the promises of God, and then thirdly, we are called to follow in the steps of God. Straight after that, there's these other scenes that we're not going to touch on too much today. But in Genesis 13, we see Abraham's faith stumble as he is afraid of Pharaoh. And so he tells a Pharaoh this lie and gets him to a hot water. In Genesis chapter 14, we see Abraham come across some different situations. One where he meets a priest who blesses him and blesses the king. But there is this moment that we stumble into in Genesis chapter 15. See, in Genesis 12, Abraham is 75. And God rocks up to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you nations. You are going to be a father. Now, Abraham did biology in grade nine. He knows how the reproductive system works. And for a 75-year-old to have the energy, number one, to even try to become a father, let alone be successful, is, that's a big call. Some of you are like 75 today, you're like, hey, hang on a second, buddy. <laughs> or about to. There's this sense. Right? Where he's like, this isn't right. Now, this is a couple of years later in Genesis chapter 15. There's a different moment that we step into here where Abraham and Sarai, he's known as Abram and Sarai in this moment, they do not yet have children. It's been years. The promise of God has not yet come to fruition. And Abraham, Abram is wondering what's going on. God rocks up into Abram's story and he says this, Abram, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very Great reward. God rocks up in the middle of Abram alone in the wilderness with his family. He's walking around trying to work out what's happening. And he says, Abram, hey, listen, I know you're afraid, but here's what I want. Do not be afraid. It's the first time in the Bible God gives this command. It's repeated throughout the Old Testament. One of the most frequent things God says to humanity is this. Do not be afraid. And you just say, well, God, why, why, why do I not have to be afraid? And he says, because I am your shield. And I will give you a very great reward. And this sounds so lovely. But it sounds a lot nice. If I was Abram, I'd be like, oh, God's my shield. He's going to be my reward. This is awesome. But in reality, it doesn't feel like that, does it? When you're in the wilderness and what you're believing God for hasn't come about yet, when you're in that moment of financial pressure and you're like, I don't know what, how this is going to play out, when you're sitting in your life and the relationship breakdown or that promise of a relationship or your health or someone's health is all falling apart and you rock up to church and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm not doing too good. And someone comes along and says, just have faith. And you're like, thank you very much. <laughs> Boy, that's not going to put food on my table, is it, mate? That's kind of like what, this is kind of like how I feel about what God's saying to Abram right now. He's like, I'm going to be your reward. And Abram's like, where's my kid? That's nice, God, but it's just words. And I think there's a really honest reaction we need to have here that sometimes we can get really frustrated with how God responds to our situations. Amen? And that's what happens next with Abram. We read it in the story. Abram turns around and says, Sovereign Lord. I love how Abram still fears the Lord God even when he comes to complain. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? 
What's Abraham saying here? It's not like, oh God, you know, here's a, I have a question. He's saying, you know what, God? It's been years. I'm like 80, 85 now. I'm tired. I go to bed at six. Like, I don't have time for this stuff. Where is my kid? You're not going to give me an ex. See, back in those days, it was so important to have an heir because that's what your family line continued through. And he's turning around and be like, if I don't have a kid, I'm going to lose the name that you promised to be made great. And it's going to be given to my servant, Eliezer. Where are you going to follow through on your promise, God? What's Abraham doing here? Abraham is reminding me how comforted I can be when God doesn't play out according to my plan. You know what I love about the story of Abram? Is that God doesn't reprimand him for asking him this question. God doesn't come to Abram and be like, what did you just say to me? Go to your room. And come back out when you know I'm your great reward. Does he? He doesn't. What does he say? God doesn't say anything just yet, but, but here's the comfort. Faith is not about having no doubts. Faith is not about never being frustrated. Faith is not about never questioning. Faith is about knowing who to go to with your doubts. Faith is about knowing who to go to with your questions. God, stuff's hard right now. What the heck are you doing? Sometimes I think we just pray too nice to God. And then we're wondering why we feel fake. It's because we are. When was the last time you just got real? God, this isn't how I thought this would play out. Where are you right now? You're my shield and great reward. Doesn't feel like it. Abraham's being real. What a great permission that is to us today. But the next thing that happens is how God responds. What does God say next? Nothing. In fact, it goes, the story goes on in verse 3. And Abram said, you have given me no children. Now, now, let me pause here. When you're writing, if it's the same person saying something, you don't need to tell us that they're saying something again. It's like, why have they said it twice? Abram said this, and then Abram said something else. The reason why the Hebrew writer does this isn't because he thinks you've forgotten who's talking. It's to signify that actually this is a different conversation. That gap between verse 2 and verse 3 is really important. You want to know why? Because there's time there. These statements didn't happen in the same chat. What does that tell us? God was silent. God was silent for a period of time. Abram cries out to God and he hears nothing. Do you know what that's like? Do you know what it's like to call out to God and to not get the response you were longing for? And that to grieve you. See, sometimes, friends, what, you, what you're going to find in the story of Abram is that God does something powerful in the waiting. But we don't like to wait, do we? I hate traffic. <laughs> hate it. Why? Because I want to be there now. And we treat God the same. We don't like to wait. And sometimes God pauses the story because he's doing something in the stillness. And in this moment, this is exactly what we see happen to Abram. God goes silent. God is still. What I love about this moment, it gives us permission to recognize that, friends, when you have, when you have experienced the silence of God. Even the father of the faith, Abraham himself, knew what it was like to not hear God's voice in response. But here's the truth. Silence with God is not always denial, but it's usually an invitation to trust. Trust a story we cannot see. Trust a story we cannot comprehend. And trust a God who holds the pen. What God is highlighting to Abraham in the silence right now is he's going, 
let's see who you really trust. If I don't operate on your timing and your agenda, where do you run? Where does Abram run? He comes knocking again. Whether it's a second, a minute, an hour, days, weeks, months, years later, he comes back and he's like, and Abram said, hey God, you've given me no children. I don't know if you forgot, but I still have the same complaint. So a servant, Eliezer, he's going to be the, the heir of my household. What is Abram doing here? He's once again coming before God and saying, hey, speak up, God. Your servant is desperate to hear. But what I want to ask you today, where in your life are you being impatient with the timing of God? Because in this moment, God has not forgotten. And even though we do not like to wait, it's those who do learn to wait who will see the promise of God. God turns around. He responds to Abram. He says this. He says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer, he will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. What's God saying? He's saying, Abram, I've not forgotten. I, I don't have amnesia. I'm not sitting up in heaven going, oh, that's right. I had that thing. I, I forgot that to-do list. I should come back to this. No, he's like, I know what I'm doing. I made that promise to you in chapter 12. I'm still the same God in chapter 15. I am good. I am faithful. Don't go and control the story. See, what Abram starts to do here is when the story doesn't make sense, what he starts to tell God is this is what's going to happen if you don't interrupt. What's Abram actually afraid of? Why does God actually have to say, don't be afraid? Abram's afraid of not being in control. And is this not the antithesis of faith? See, we have passive trust in God and active control of our own story. I'm a type A leader. I love to know the strat plan, the budget, the five goals that we're going to achieve, when they're going to be done, and how I can hold you accountable for them as we achieve them. Just ask Scott. He hates it. No, I'm kidding. I don't think we operate like that. But then, like, that's just who I am because I'm just like, I just need to know. I've got to know what I can control. But here's the problem, friends. If you're someone who has passive trust in God and active control in your story, you will never see the hand of work of God in your life. Because what faith is, it's when we have active trust in God and passive control of that story. Who's in control of your narrative? Are you asking God to trust you? Or are you going to trust God? It's either or. No, God, trust me. Trust me with the agenda. And God would look at you and be like, you being in control is how we got here. Didn't seem to work, did it? Let's not go there. That's what's happening in this moment. God's saying, I haven't forgotten. Stop trying to control the narrative. And from here on in, every mistake Abram makes next week, you'll hear again how he tries to control the story. And he stuffs it up. What does God do? He says, Abram, come outside with me. I want to show you something. He comes outside and he says, look up at the stars. Look up at the sky and count the stars, Abram. Now it was nighttime, not daytime, because he would only have kind of one if it was daytime. It's like, oh, this isn't that great. But look up the stars and count them. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. What's God doing here? He says, Abram, let me show you. He's flexing. God comes outside. He's like, Abram, count the stars if you can. He's being sassy. God's come out and been like, I know how many there are. You tell me what you think. Oh, pfft, wrong. Like, this is what God's doing. What's God saying here right now? He's like, Abraham, you've forgot it. You've lowered your gaze. When I said back in Genesis chapter 12, I didn't say, I will give you a son and you'll be happy. I said, I'll make you the father of nations. 
But instead of focusing on the promise, you went and focused on your want. You came in and you're like, God, where's my kid? And God's being like, look what I am going to do. You won't even be able to count or understand how great how my blessing is because you've become so forgotten, focused on your story, you've forgotten the story. And friends, some of us are so disappointed that God didn't give us something in a moment that we have forgotten God isn't just in your moment. He's weaving together eternity. He was there when he spoke worlds into beginning and we've started the stars and universes. He can see what it means for Jesus himself to come back riding a stallion with his name tattooed on his side, victorious at the end of all things. He sees both those things at the same time and he knows what you're walking through right now. You're like, hey, you're not giving me what I want. He's like, if only you knew. I see everything. Can you trust me? I see what you don't see. Abraham, look to the stars. This is what I'm going to do. What do you want, a son or a nation? Because I can give you both. But if you drop your eyes, you may receive it neither. Look to the stars. Friends, some of you today, if you could become so focused on your story, you've forgotten the story you're a part of. God is not just focused on a moment. He's weaving together eternity. And he wants you to be involved. Who's in control of the narrative? Who's in control of your story? And in response to this, it says this, Abram believed the Lord and it credited to him as righteousness. This is the moment that Paul would reference later when he explains about faith. And he says, it is by faith, through grace we are saved. But what is he talking about here? He's actually referencing this moment when Abram actually proves what it means to be righteous. Righteousness is not basing your belief and your effort, your understanding on your perfection or your performance, but the performance of God. And so in this moment, Abram believed. Abram put active trust in God. Walter Brueggemann says it like this. Abraham has now permitted God to be not just a hypothesis about the future, but the voice around which his life is organized. Say this again. Abraham has allowed God, has permitted God, to not just to be a hypothesis, not just one of many multiple choices. No, no, no. God, you're not just an option for me. You're everything. Friends, is God just an option for you? Or is he everything your life is centered upon? That's what faith looks like. And this is the moment that Abraham would become the father of the faith. He would be the man that others would look to when it means, what does faith look like? What does it mean to obey? What does it mean to have active trust? It is the God, the man who comes out, looks at the stars, and he goes, oh my goodness, that's how many kids I'm going to have? Me and Sarah are going to be tired. And he realizes, God, I'm going to believe your story, not mine. I'm going to give you trust, not control it. But it doesn't answer a really important question for us. How can God be trusted? How do we know God's character can be trusted? And this is so pivotal. Because at this point of the story, all God's done to Abram is just being like, it's coming. It's coming. It's like that husband is like, I'll take out the trash. And you're like, but it's still in the bin, isn't it? Someone's like, oh, it's got to start something on the way home, right? And so there's this sense of like, that's nice that you've promised that. But how do I know I can trust that you'll fulfill it? Why is this important? You've got to remember, Abram doesn't have Sunday school. He doesn't have the Bible. Abram doesn't have all the things that we have so we can learn about God. He doesn't have Scott up here preaching powerfully every week. If this is your first time and you're falling asleep, come next week. It'll be a far better sermon. Amen? Amen? Still no one said amen. 
bro, hey, don't rock up next week. Let's see how they fly. Um, there's this sense, right? Why do I say that? How does Abram know who God is and what his character is like? There's no song to sing. How does he know? By God's promises. God walks up to Abram and says, you want to know who my, what my character is? Listen to my promise. See, the promises of God reveal the character of God. What God promises to do shows his intention, his redemption, and his ideas about how the world might play out. But also it's how God commits to keep his promises. And in this next moment, Abram turns to, God turns to Abram and again he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And, and there's kind of a moment where God's like, cool, you believe me about the kids? Now let me remind you, I'm also going to give you this land. It's going to be really great. You know, I've, you've left the land, now let me show you what the land you're going to possess. So God, God's like giving him another promise, reminding him of another thing again. And Abram, rightly so, doesn't turn around and be like, hey God, when's this going to happen? He asks a really important question. Sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I will gain possession of it? What's he asking here? God, how can I trust you? How do I know you can be trusted? Friends, do you know you can trust God? Some of you are like, yeah, 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 yes. How do you know? How do you know you can trust God with that relationship? How do you know you can trust God with those finances? How do you know you can trust God with that spiritual correction in your life right now? How, if you're a non-Christian today or you're exploring faith, how do you know that this is more than just a nice bunch of people who sang karaoke for 20 minutes in a room and now listen to a weird guy speak on stage? How do you know you can trust God? God answers. Because God doesn't want to hide his character from Abram. This is the one thing God wants to make very clear, not just in any moment, but in all moments and in all of humanity. He turns to Abram and he says something which is so beautiful. He says, I'm the... Oh, no, he's already said that. The Lord says to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old along with a dove and a young pigeon. Friends, that's how you know you can trust God. <laughs> Let's pray. Right? And this part of the story, you're like, what the heck? And where are we, what have we seen Abram do up until now? Every moment, Abram's turned around and been like, why? How? When? And it's like, man, this guy's like that, you know, that kid that just keeps asking questions. But suddenly God's like, you want to know how you can trust me? Get a heifer, get some lambs, get a pigeon. And Abram's like, makes sense, makes sense. All right. And he goes off. Like, this part of the story doesn't make sense to me. Why does Abram go immediately and bring all these things to God? Because Abram's done this before. See, what God's actually referencing here is something that's not going to make sense to us because we live in 21st century uh, Australia at Coolangatta or somewhere around the Gold Coast. And what's, not, what's going to happen next is not going to make sense to you if you're a vegan, a vegetarian, or like animals, okay? So I just want you to remember, this is thousands of years ago. This church doesn't support this practice, but kind of references it, understanding the narrative of God. What is about to happen in this story is something that is an ancient ritual of promise. It's an ancient ritual of something known as a covenant. A covenant is not a contract. A contract is what you have with Optus. You pay them money, they give you goods. A covenant is a commitment you make regardless of what happens. It's not to receive something. It's saying you commit to do something. And a covenant is so important. And there were many covenants in the old days. It was how you like made understanding of, of life. You had covenants of land rights. You know, someone switching land would be a covenant around land understanding. There would, might be a covenant of marriage where a young man would receive a beautiful bride from a father. And there was a covenant around understanding these things. And there were covenantal practices that meant and demonstrated and symbolized, I promise to uphold this commitment. This is what God is about to do with Abraham. He's about to walk him through a covenant of promise. 
So when he says, go get me a heifer, go to ram, and each three years old, and also get me a dove and a young pigeon, Abram goes, we're about to do a covenant. This is commonplace back then. And it gets a bit grotesque. In the next moment, Abram cuts them in two and arranges the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half, and then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Now, now just, just picture this without getting too horrified. It's created a path between two animals, and the idea is that the blood of the animals goes down into the path, and the covenant would happen like this. One member of the covenant, let's say it was a father-in-law and a groom. The groom would walk between the two animals, allowing the blood to splash up on his clothes. And the idea of this was, is he would be saying, I will protect your daughter, I will keep her pure and holy, I will love her, I will cherish her, I will honor her. And if I don't, you can walk in my blood and tear my body apart just as we have done in these animals. I give you my life if I don't keep this covenant. And then the father-in-law would do the same. I give you my daughter, she is pure, she is holy, she's never been given to anyone else, she is yours. And so as the blood splashes, he says, if I lie to you this day, if I break this oath or if something happens, then my life is forfeit as well. You may walk in my blood. It's a grotesque way of making a very serious promise. So what God is saying to Abram, Abram here is he's asking Abram a really important question. He says, Abram, you want to know if I've got skin in the game? I want to know if you've got skin in the game. Let's make a covenant together. Because what happens next is really interesting. What does it say? The birds of prey come down on the carcasses. Now, if you've, you know, I don't know if you've seen a lot of birds of prey, but most people would understand, when does the bird of prey start to feast on a carcass? Straight away? Just after a period of time. See, you usually wouldn't wait. You would just get the covenant done with. But something happens in this story where Abram cuts the animals in two, there's blood pouring down, and then he kind of sits and steps back. You get this sense of hesitation. Abram doesn't want to do this. He's, he's not keen on... The covenant, because he was saying, God, how can I trust you? And God so beautifully turns back to Abram and goes, <clears throat> how can I trust you? Can I trust you? All right, I'll show you how you can trust me. Let's do this covenant thing. You go first. And Abram realizes that if he walks that path of blood, he won't be able to uphold his promise. Why? Because Abram knows what you and I know. We're faithless. We break promises. We stuff it up all the time. So Abram's sitting here going, God, how do I know? And God says, how do I know? And Abram goes, I can't do this. If I do this, my life is forfeit. I know I'm going to fall short. I know I'm not going to be good enough. I can't walk this covenantal blood. And so Abram's sitting there watching birds of prey start to feast on the carcasses going, this covenant can't happen because I don't want to forfeit my life. So how does God respond to Abram's inhibition to actually do something? Does God go, well, that's it. No more kids for you. We're done and walk away. No, no, no. In verse 17, something beautiful happens. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. How many people are meant to make a covenant? Two. But Abraham refuses. Two people still need to make the covenant. So God sends two symbols on his behalf. And he says, Abram, this is how you can trust me. Even if you can't promise to me, I will promise to you. You will fail me, Abram. I will never fail you. You will not be the promise keeper, Abram. You'll be the promise bearer. And I will keep this promise. This is the character of God on display. He says to Abram, you want to know how you can trust me? 
I will not require of you what you one day will require of me. What is God saying here? He's pointing to something. He's saying one day, Abram, you will fail. Not just you. Moses will fail. Joshua will fail. David will fail. Solomon will fail. Hezekiah will fail. The kings will fail. Jerusalem will fail. Israel, the people of God, Neifku and Gada will fail. So what happens when you fail to keep your promise to God? Who's going to pay the price? Whose body will be torn like these animals? Whose blood will be spilt to make rest of to make to make redemption, to, to re- rectify what has gone wrong? What's God pointing to? He's pointing to the idea that even when we break the covenant, God is the one who pays the price. When we break the covenant, friends, I don't know if you know this, he's pointing towards the idea that one day God would become flesh, that he would become a man named Jesus, and that he would step in and say, the covenant has been broken, so I'm going to heal it once and for all so that I can give you a new covenant that will not require your death anymore, just my life. And so Jesus' body was what? It was torn. Jesus' blood was what? It was spilt. Why? So that you could walk the path of blood and be redeemed and forgiven. Well, God started in Genesis chapter 15. He finished on the cross at Calvary. Then he said, I will be torn. I will be pierced for their transgressions. My blood will be brought red so you might be white as snow. And so the reason why I say this, friends, is maybe you're sitting here today being like, you know what? How can I trust God? What has he done? He hasn't fulfilled it. There's so much I need him to do. And when God looks at you, he says, can I show you how you can trust me? I didn't just come and break apart animals. I came as Jesus and I died a death on a cross that you should have died after living a life you couldn't live. Why? For I come to keep covenants and give you a new one. You want to know how you can trust Jesus? You look at the cross. Who else has ever done that for you? Which boyfriend, which girlfriend, which financial institution, which boss, which job has ever laid down their life and said, even in your failure, I pay the price? And my humble question to you would be this. What else do you need God to do to show you He is trustworthy? What would you like that he might bow to your story and your agenda? Or is the sacrifice of his son enough to know that he would give everything to show you he can be trusted with your story? Friends, where is your faith today? Who is in control of your narrative? The story of Abraham is my story. It's your story. It's our story. God says to you, will you place your faith in me? Will you trust me? I want to write a story in the stars. Will you come and join and be a part of it? Friends, I wonder if you would stand to your feet and close your eyes with me. Just wait on God with me and just, just, just pause. Holy Spirit, we just ask, where are you calling us to trust you?
had the same sense in the first service, and I just get the sense again that there are some people in this room who are disappointed with God. And we're like, I can't trust God's promise because he's failed me in the path and past. And I just suggest that sometimes our disappointment with God comes because we've, we've asked him to keep promises that he never made in the first place. Or we've misunderstood his promises. And God has come to tell you today, I have never failed to fulfill what I have said. Will you trust me again? If that's you today, if you're just struggling with active faith in God and you're just struggling because there's real hurt and pain in the past or in the present, you're saying, God, teach me to trust. I was wondering if you'd just open your hands in front of you just right now. Would you join me? Lord God, as these hands are open before you, we just say and surrender our story again. We surrender and say, God, we don't have it together. God, I've got to be honest, sometimes I'm really disappointed with you. Sometimes I'm frustrated with you. Sometimes I don't know what the heck you're doing. But that's not your fault. And still you rock up and still you call us home. Still you call my heart home to trust again. So Father, for those of us who are struggling in disbelief, help our unbelief that we might not only just believe but place our active trust in you. We give you back the pen of our lives. Write a better story, Lord Jesus. I pray for those who are struggling in trial and pain right now. More than relief and comfort, may they know your presence and your goodness in the valley. Maybe you're here today and you don't trust Jesus and you've never trusted Jesus. The Bible says clearly that what we need to do to be saved is repent and believe. Repent and place our active trust in God. Ask for forgiveness for placing our trust in ourselves or anything else and say, God, I now choose to trust you. And if that's you today, I just want to pray. If you're not yet a Christian and you'd like to be, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you've decided that you're controlling your own story is pretty hopeless, I would just say it's time to give him control. If that's you today, just with every head bowed and eyes closed, I just wonder right now, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? you want to place your faith in Jesus today maybe it's the hundredth time second time fiftieth time it's awesome thank you so much it's awesome thank you Jesus just those hands that are raised right now Lord God you see you see and you know Lord there's someone here who's raised their hand because they're just going God I give you one last chance Father in this moment redeem and restore I pray for that Christian who's raising their hand again saying I've walked but now I come home Lord I pray redeem and restore in Jesus name you raised your hand, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And every Christian in this room is going to pray this prayer with you right now. And we're going to pray it out loud. You just pray this prayer. Dear Jesus. Come on, there's more than Scott that's a Christian in this room. Dear Jesus. I'm sorry for trusting in other things. I choose to place my trust in you. Write a better story. Be my Lord, my Savior, and my friend. Now and forevermore. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I pray for those people who have prayed that prayer for the thousandth time as I have or for the first time. Cement what you started today in their hearts and in their life that they might know you, they might follow you, and they might listen and entrust you in Jesus' name. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Amen.